For the most part, I like GPS because I'm directionally challenged. If you ask me right now, are you positioned north, south, east, or west? I have no idea. And I really don't care. I have no idea whether I'm headed north, south, east, or west. And in my truck, I've got a little thing uh, on my mirror. It says south or southeast, north, or whatever, and it gives you direction. And like I said, for the most part, I like GPS. But sometimes GPS gets it wrong. Sometimes GPS will lead you down the wrong road. GPS could even lead you to a place that you don't want to go. I didn't realize, but I went down to Miami, oh, about 20-some years ago. I was headed down to the South Beach area for a conference for the franchise that I was working for. And believe it or not, it was Burger King University. And yes, Burger King had a university, a school. And uh, I went there for uh, training. But what I didn't realize was in Miami, there's North Miami and South Miami. And I didn't know that. And so I get off the plane and I get the rental car and it's late. And I got to get up early the next morning to be there for the first session. And I'm driving and driving and driving and I get to this one place where there's like, I guess, street zero or whatever it is. I don't know. And I'm like, well, where's the street? I drove around for an hour and a half until I, and I kept coming back to the same street, coming back to the same street until I realized that, oh, you need to cross the street to find the right address. I was in parts of town that I didn't want to be in, that I was not welcome in. It was very obvious that I was not welcome there. It led me, if you will, the wrong way. The directions led me the wrong way. You know, the one thing about the Lord Jesus Christ is that he never leads you the wrong way. Isn't that wonderful to think about that if you just follow Christ, that you don't have to worry about being led in the wrong direction. And then you don't have to be worried about being led into a bad place or a place where you're not wanted or a place that is scary or difficult when God leads us wherever he leads us, even though it may be scary for us, it's not for him. Even though it may be overwhelming for us, it's not for him. But wherever Christ leads us is the good place. You don't ever have to worry about getting misguided if you'll follow Christ. Young person, let, let me tell you that, you know, maybe there's some singles in here that you're, in the future, you want, you want to get married and things like that, and that's great if you have that desire to get married. Let me tell you something. If you just follow Christ, you don't have to worry about getting married to the wrong person. Just, just follow Christ. And, and maybe there's some out here that are looking for a job and, and you're unemployed currently and, and you're not quite sure how things are going to work out. Let me tell you something. If you just follow Christ... You're not going to have to worry about whether you ended up at the right job or not. I mean, you can apply this to every area of your life. If you just and I just follow Christ, we, would all, we will always be led to the good place. See, wherever Christ is leading you is a good place in life. And the leading of Jesus Christ in our life 
is for a purpose. Christ doesn't just lead us to lead us. I mean, sometimes when you're little, you might play follow the leader. And when I, when I played that when I was little, I had no purpose in mind. I didn't have any direction. I would just lead my sisters just to get them all confused and, and just for no reason, just to try and torment my sisters because that's what older brothers should do to, to younger sisters. But I had no purpose. But when you follow Christ, when, when you follow his leadership in your life, He's leading you into a good place, and it's for a purpose. And that purpose is to be able to experience Christ in four ways. It's not just so that you can land the job, or so that you can land the right mate, or so that you can land uh, the right home. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to be able to experience Christ in a different way. And so Christ is leading us in order that we may know him and experience him on another level. What's the, fir- what's the first reason or the first purpose why Christ is, is leading you in a specific way? And what does he want you to experience? First, Christ wants you to experience, when you allow Christ to lead in your life, he wants you to experience his glory. He wants you to experience his glory. So in your habit of taking notes, we don't have slides today, um, but if you're in the habit of taking notes, you might want to write that down. Number one, you are to experience Christ's glory. We see in verses one and two here that uh, letter A, there's a private meeting. Take a look. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter and James and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. There was a private meeting. Jesus chooses James, Peter, and John to go with him away from the day-to-day activities that they have been involved in. He takes them away from the crowds. He takes them away from the other disciples for a particular purpose. And that particular purpose was to be able to experience something that all the others would only dream about. And he was taking them away really to himself. And when Jesus is leading you, he is leading you really to himself because he wants you to experience something that many times others don't get to experience. These three men were the inner circles of Christ, were in the inner circle of Christ. You can find, turn over to Mark chapter 5, if you will, please, because you find where Christ has uh, had these men at other special occasions or times with him. And he's called these men at other times. In Mark chapter 5, take a look at verse 37. Mark chapter 5 and verse 37, and he suffered no man to follow him save Peter and James and John. Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then you can take a look in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 37. He sa- it says, And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and, being, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. So these three men, Peter, James, and John, they were the inner circle. They were the core, if you will, of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but my first question was, would be, why would Jesus choose these three men? Why would he choose these three men over other disciples? I can't give you a complete answer, but 
One of the first things that we may think of is, well, Jesus probably loved these men more. That's wrong. That's wrong. Jesus didn't love these men more. One of the reasons why I know that is because you never hear about the other's disciples complaining about Jesus loving Peter, James, and John more. Let me tell you something. When it says that God so loved the world, that means that he loves all of us and all of us equally well. Well, then why did he choose Peter, James, and John? Well, I would say because, and you can, you can look at this even within the church setting, there are some more responsive to the love of Jesus than others. Some respond in a greater way to the love of Christ, and then there are some that desire more intimacy with Jesus than others. You say, well, oh, Pastor, I, I desire great intimacy, but, but many times we're not willing to be able to go through what it takes to have that intimacy with Christ. And then according to James chapter 4 and verse 8, there are some that will just draw closer to Christ than others. See, friends, you're going to be as close to Christ as you want to be. Amen. The reason that you and I don't experience the glory of Christ in our life is not because we can't have the private meeting with Christ. It's because we really don't desire the private meeting with Christ. One man said, they were of great spiritual report and leadership and when it came to time to articulate what happened, they would be trusted. They would be the most believed. We see here that Jesus took them apart so that they could experience this private meeting with him to see his glory. But secondly, I see here, letter B, not only was it a private meeting, but there was a private mountain. It says, up into a high mountain apart. Jesus took these men into a private mountain. The Bible says he bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. He led them apart from everyone else and from everything else in order that they may be by themselves. Listen, if you want to be able to experience the glory of Christ in your life, sometimes you just need to come apart for a while in order to be alone with Christ. Just spend time alone with him in the word and in prayer. Spending time uh, meditating upon his word. And see, too many times people say, yes, I want to experience the glory of Christ in my life. I want to be intimate with Christ. But listen, the only way that you're going to be able to do that is if you spend time alone with him. We're not willing, we're not, the reason that we are not uh, experiencing the glory of Christ in our life is because we're not willing to set aside time. Listen, that's not going to happen in five minutes, folks. Let me tell you, I just don't, I just don't spend 15 minutes on my messages. I really do work during the week. I really do study. I really do read. I, I really do walk the auditorium and pray. I, I really do search the scriptures. I, I really do spend time alone with God, seeing what he wants for God's people. And, and you would say, well, pastor, you're a pastor. You should be doing that. No, I should be doing that because I'm a Christian. Amen. 
led them apart from everyone else in order that they may be by themselves. I want you to think about this for a moment. What had, just, what, what had Jesus just told his disciples? He had told his disciples that he was going to die and then rise again. And as I mentioned to you in the previous message, I don't believe that they heard that Jesus was going to rise again. I think that they were so overwhelmed with the thought that the Messiah was going to die that they totally blocked out the final statement of Jesus. And I can prove this to you from the Bible. Take a look at Luke chapter 22. Some might say, well, no, they probably heard him. I don't think that they did. They might have heard it, but they weren't listening. Ladies, you know exactly uh, what, I, what I'm talking about. You know, don't you, with your husbands? You know. Yes, dear, as they're reading the paper, watching the news. You know. Oh, they heard, so the, the husband heard something going on, but they weren't listening. Hey, listen, that's the best time to ask for stuff, ladies. You know? You know? Oh, okay, good. <laughs> they might have heard, but they weren't listening. Take a look at Luke chapter 22 and verse 45. And when, this, is the same, this is Luke's account of the transfiguration. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for what? Sorrow. He found them sleeping for sorrow. My question is, what sorrow? What, what sorrow? Why were they... Jesus took them apart. Were they upset because they left the other disciples behind? No. Well, then what was the sorrow? The reason that they were sleeping for the sorrow was because that the Messiah was going to die. They were overwhelmed with this. And Jesus had led them to this mountain for a reason, for a purpose. I want you to think about how Jesus was working in the lives of, of, of these disciples and he had just given them the news that was very hard for them to hear, and he tells them about his coming death and, and how he, that they were also going to die for the cause of Christ. So their sorrow was twofold. Their sorrow was for his death, but also for their own death, that they were probably going to be martyred for the cause of Christ. And it seemed like their whole world was crashing down around them, all that they had invested for the cause of Christ. And, and now it seems that everything that they had invested in was going to come to an abrupt end. Sometimes that's the way Jesus leads us. When it looks like everything that we have is going to come to an abrupt end, but he's leading us for a purpose. He's leading us. If we will follow, he wants us to experience his glory. Not only do we see that there was a, a private meeting, we see that there was a private mountain, and now we see that there's a private manifestation Take a look at verse 2. And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. The account does not end on the mountain where the inner circle is sleeping and Jesus is praying. It doesn't stop there, no. They're getting ready to experience something that no one else in history to that point that we know of has ever experienced. They were going to see Jesus Christ in all of his glory. They were going to see Jesus in heavenly glory. The word, I want you to look at the word transfigured there in verse 2. It's a compound word. And it's where we get our word metamorphosis. 
And the Bible uses this word to be able to describe what happened to Christ. Meta means to change. Morph means form. So what does it mean? It means to change form or change appearance. So Jesus, who looked like every other guy out there at that time, he looked like just like everybody else, right in front of them, his appearance and his form changed. His body, his form was totally changed. It was a supernatural occurrence. Take a look what the Bible says. It says that his, his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was as the light. You know what? Friends, he was blazing. He was blazing. What had happened, this supernatural occurrence, what had happened was that the glory that was inside of Christ was unveiled and the transformation of the Son of God took place. See, the glory of Christ, it was veiled in his humanity. But on the Mount of Transfiguration, the humanity was taken away. The veil was taken away and the disciples were able to see Christ in all of his glory. Christ, who is, in, uh, who is God, was unveiled for them to see him in his blazing, dazzling glory. They got to experience Christ in a whole new way. See, if they would have just said, you know, Jesus, we don't feel like trudging up that mountain. It's too much work. Jesus, we want to stay down here. We're tired. Jesus, don't you understand? We're overcome with what you just told us about your death and possibly our impending death. Everything that uh, uh, you just uh, told us, it seems like everything's crashing around us. Jesus, I, I just, I, I can't trust you anymore. I can't follow you anymore. It just seems like you're leading me down the wrong road, Jesus. I, I don't want to go up into the high mountain. Had they said that, they would have missed the greatest experience of their life. And so many times when we, it seems like Jesus is leading us in a direction where we don't want to go and where it seems like uh, our, our world is crashing down around us and it seems like we've trusted Jesus and we've trusted Jesus and we've trusted him and now it seems like he's about to let us down because it seems like our whole world is falling apart. If we would just learn to follow him, we're going to be able to experience him in a whole new way than we've ever experienced him before. See, though we may not be able to experience the physical transformation of Christ into all of his glory at this point in time, Christ still wants you to experience his glory. But I want you to think just in simpler terms. I want you to think about how you can experience Christ's glory in simpler terms. What does the Bible say about the glory of Christ? The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. Firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day he uttereth speech. See, we can just look around us and we can look up at the night sky and be able to say, the glory of Christ, the glory of God, he's the one who created all this. He's the one who has done all this. See, Christ wants you to be able to experience his glory on a daily basis, to be able to see him for who he really is. That's exactly what Jesus was showing the disciples. He's saying, I want you to see me for who I really am. 
Because, folks, when he comes back the second time, we're going to see him in all his blazing glory. We're going to see Christ for who he really is. See, when you learn to open up your heart to experience the glory of God, you'll never get over it. I want you to turn over to 2 Peter because Peter never got over this. Peter never got over this. In 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, Let me ask you this morning, is Jesus, is Jesus dull to you? What do you mean? I mean, has the glory worn off? I mean, are, are you experiencing him in all of his glory? Are you, are you willing to be able to follow him so that you can experience him in a new and living way? You say, Pastor, why are you talking about experience? Isn't, isn't that something uh, new evangelical or something like that? No, it's not. A matter of fact, the Puritans, the old Puritans, uh, talked about that all the time, about experiencing Christ and about knowing Christ. Then what they were trying to get at is, look, this Christian life is more than just a bunch of theological jargon. It's more than just a bunch of head knowledge. It's something that you ought to be living out every day and experience him in a whole new way, that he's alive inside of you and that he is your life just not part of your life. And Peter never got over it. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, he says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory, when there such came a voice from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Peter never got over the transfiguration of Christ. John never got over this in his lifetime. The Bible says in the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It may be what you're going through today and the place that you find yourself today is where God is leading you in order to experience his glory. Let me tell you something. When you experience the glory of Christ, you won't get over it. How about going out on a nice spring night and being able to look in the night sky and just start praising God for his beautiful creation? God, this is all your glory. And now think about this. Now think about the creation, the Bible says, it groaneth. It groaneth. Now think about this. This creation has been tainted with sin. And it's still absolutely magnificent. Go to that little, that little canyon called Grand. And just take a look at that. It's amazing what evolution has done. Well, carbon dating says it's billions of years old. Look, if God wants to make something look old, he can make it look old, just like he made something old in me new. He made me new. He can take something that's old and make it new, and he can take something that's new and make it old. And you think about this sin-tainted world, it groans, the Bible says. 
and it's still gorgeous around us and we can look up into the sky and we can praise God and say, God, thank you for your glory. And the wonderful thing to be able to think of is that he just spoke it. Can you imagine that kind of power, that kind of glory to just say, hey, let there be light. I wish I could do that. You know what I would say? Let there be hair. That's what I would say. And then the second thing I would say is let there be parking lot. I'm telling you right now, folks. I'm, not, I'm telling you right now. When Benny Hinn can start putting hair on heads, I'm going to be the first in line. I'm just letting you know. I'm going to be the first in line. Don't call, you can't call me a Baptist anymore at that point, but I'm letting him lay hands on my head, and I'm going to have an afro like this. <laughs> But on a serious note, God might be leading you into a place in order that you may experience his glory. That's the first reason or the first aspect. But secondly, it's a good place in your life when your heart is open to experience the glory of Christ. But secondly, you are to experience, write this down if you would, you are to experience Christ's greatness. Not only does he want you to experience his glory, but he wants you to experience his greatness. Verses three through five. And behold, there appeared unto them, and behold, there appeared unto them, Moses and Elijah, Elias, or Elijah, talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias, or Elijah, while yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. First we see, letter A, if you're taking notes, a glorious, visit, glorious visitors. The reason we want to follow Christ because he's, is because he's going to lead us to a good place, and that good place is to experience his glory, but secondly, to experience his greatness. There were some glorious visitors. The Bible tells us that Moses and Elias, or Elijah, appeared unto them. So these disciples saw two heavenly visitors talking with Jesus. You know what my first question is? How did they know that it was Moses and Elijah? They had been dead for a couple thousand years. Well, Elijah didn't die, but Moses died. How did they know? I don't think they had name tags. You know, hello, my name is Moses. You know. No, I think, to be honest with you, that it's going to be that way in heaven. I think there's going to be something supernatural, and we'll just know. Guess what? Nobody's going to have to tell us who Jesus is. We're going to know him. We're going to know him. But it says the disciples saw these two heavenly visitors, and it says that they were talking with Jesus. I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 9, because my next question is, I wonder what they were talking about. Well, you don't have to wonder what they were talking about, because Dr. Luke, he was a doctor, Dr. Luke gives us an account of what... They were talking about Luke chapter 9 and verse 31. 
So we see that Jesus wants to us to experience his glory and his greatness. We see first that there are these two heavenly visitors. Take a look at Luke chapter 9, verse 31. Who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. You know what they were talking about? What Moses and Elijah and Jesus were talking about on the Mount of Transfiguration? They were talking about the exodus of Christ. They were talking about the death of Christ. They were talking about the final outcome which Christ was going to fulfill in Jerusalem. They were talking about his death and resurrection. You say, why do you say resurrection? Because you can't separate the death of Christ from the resurrection of Christ. If Christ just died and there was no resurrection, he would not be the Christ. <laughs> Then my next question is, well, then why Moses and Elijah? Why did God send those two? Well, first, because Moses was the great representative of the law. And secondly, because Elijah was the great representative of prophecy. These men were key representatives for the law and the prophets. They lived through the two major periods of Old Testament miracles. They were messianic forerunners whose, who return off, was often expected with the advent of the Messiah. Here it is. Let me, let me break it down to you this way. I'll put it in plain English. Moses and Elijah were two representatives. They were a way of saying that the whole of the Old Testament revelation is found and fulfilled in Jesus. That's why. So we have glorious visitors, and God's trying to show us his greatness, but we see, let her be a glorious voice. Take a look back at Matthew chapter 17 and verse 4. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 4. Then Peter, then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here, if thou wilt. Let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah, Elias, or Elijah. Peter speaks up and says, hey, Christ, it's, it's good that we're here, and now I want to make three tabernacles. thought to myself, why, why do you think Peter would say something like that? I think one of the reasons was because of what Jesus just said. Well, first, that he's going to die, and you've got potential to die. Peter wants to prolong this experience as long as possible. But I think that what Peter was also trying to show, and what he did show, was that he exalted Moses and Elijah to the same level as Jesus. Now think about it. These weren't ordinary men. They wouldn't need any type of shelter. See, Peter's mistake was that he put Moses and Elijah on the same level with Jesus. And that's when God stepped in. That's when there was a voice from heaven. Take a look, if you will, in verse 5. Well, yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. See, the point is, friends, that God will not allow anyone to compete with his Son. There's no one like Jesus Christ, and no one can compare to Jesus Christ. 
And what God was doing was reminding everyone on that mountain that Jesus was greater than Moses. All you have to do is read the book of Hebrews and you can find over and over again, it says that Jesus is better. Jesus was greater than Moses and the law. That's what God was saying. And then he was going on and saying, by the way, not only is Jesus greater than Moses and the law, but Jesus is greater than Elijah and the prophets. And he alone is the one that has fulfilled the law and the prophets. And he alone is the one that is worthy of worship. And see, the point is for us in the 21st century is that you and I, we can experience the greatness of Christ in our life when we don't allow anyone or anything to compete for our attention and affections other than the Lord Jesus Christ. But the only way that you and I are going to be able to experience the greatness of Christ is if we will follow as he leads us into the good place. From a human standpoint, who would have ever thought that the crucifixion of the Messiah would lead to conquering death? My point is that though God may be leading you and it doesn't seem from a human standpoint that anything good or that he's leading you into the good place that could come out of how and where he is leading you to, if you will just follow him, you will experience his glory and you will experience his greatness. We need to remember that when Christ leads us, He owes us no explanation. All that we are to do is to just follow. He never said the path would be easy. As a matter of fact, he's told us the exact opposite. The path for the disciples wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to hear that everything that they knew was going to change. It wasn't easy to hear that they may end up losing their life for following this man called Jesus. It wasn't easy. But nonetheless, they became victorious through it because they experienced the glory and greatness of Christ. There's not a single one here that if I were to ask you if you're serious about your Christian life, there's not a single one here that would not say, if I were to say, would you like to be on that mountain and be able to see Christ in all of his blazing glory? They wouldn't say, yeah, I want to see that. The only way that you can see it is if you follow the leading of Christ to the good place.